Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the fourth installment in my Matrix movie review series. Today I am reviewing The Matrix Resurrections. So before we get into the review, it is the end of the year. Make sure to click subscribe so you will not miss out on all the great upcoming reviews coming out next year. Make sure you're also subscribed on the YouTube channel. Going to be doing some more videos over there. All the information you need to know is in the description below. So check out down there. There's tons of great stuff, timestamps, curated list of reviews, tons of stuff you're not going to want to miss out on and no matter where you're at make sure to leave us five stars and a short written review that is a great free way to help out the podcast so since resurrections is a new movie there wasn't much of a guide to go along with it if you want to know the background as to how this movie did ultimately come about listen to the end of the matrix revolutions that's where i talk about some of the small details of how this film ultimately was made. But we are going to talk about some scores and some box office numbers before we get into my thoughts on the film. So first things first, this film was actually supposed to come out Friday, May 21st, 2021, but it was pushed back by 10 months and 11 days to April 1st, 2022. But it was shockingly moved up again. It was moved up to December 22nd, 2021. So that's ultimately when the film did come out. That's when we saw it. So it really wasn't much of a move. In fact, mostly from summer to winter. Now jumping into scores, this is currently enjoying a 3.1 on Letterboxd, which is the second highest rating, only Reloaded has a 3.2. On IMDb, I think this is going to shock a lot of you listeners. 5.8, the lowest in the franchise, a whole point lower than Revolutions. Now on Metascore, it is actually the second highest in the franchise at 64. That's still in the green. Um, Rotten Tomatoes critics, 64%. As of the, all of these scores are as of the time of this recording, as the time you are listening to it, listeners. Um, by the time you're listening to this, who knows when in the future, these scores could have changed. But nevertheless, as of this time, about a week after release, not, well, yeah, roughly a week after release, 64%, um, critics rating. Critics are still giving it a watery, but albeit positive review. Audience, 63%, um, 63% third highest, um, 64% is a major jump from the 35% the third film had. CinemaScore actually has the lowest in the franchise at a B-, minus, whereas that title used to be towards Revolutions with a B. The B- minus is the lowest audiences are giving this dangerously close to a C+. So as you can see across the board with these scores that people are giving the film, they are anywhere from... I would say bad to mediocre to positive. It is a weird, you know, kind of mishmash of scores here. Nevertheless, what we can see is people are just saying it's all right. It's okay. It's nowhere near the levels of the first one. It's not one of the greatest films of all time. 
it's just straight up okay. It's a fun, okay time. Um, in some instances, people are saying yeah, it's close to on par with the second, much better than the third, whereas other places are saying it is worse than the third. So you're getting a very mixed reaction to this film. It's quite divisive, it seems like. Budget seems to be the biggest budget of the series, $190 million for a solo film. This is going to shock a lot of you listeners. This is the very first film in the series to not hit number one at the box office. Number three, with an opening weekend gross of $12 million. Now, keep in mind, this is the lowest opening gross of the entire franchise by far. This did premiere day and date on HBO Max, so a lot of people did have the option to watch it in the comfort of their home. So I think that did cut into the box office numbers. But the other big thing is they went up against Spider-Man No Way Home, which was a big mistake, I would say. And it was also a mistake to go up against Sing 2. I think a lot of families were going out to the theaters, whereas this Matrix series is, it's been almost 20 years since we have seen Revolution. So it's been a long time. This is an older franchise, but nevertheless, you know, people did come out to see it. It did beat The King's Man, which came in at number four, 5.9 million. Um, American Underdog nearly took over The King's Man, which is actually pretty significant. And of course, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story is just getting buried at the box office. So going up against some surprising heavy hitters, aside from Spider Man No Way Home, was clearly going to. I think crushed this film. Matrix really didn't stand a chance. Seemed like a bad time to drop this movie off. So far, domestically, it's only grossed about 24.2 million. Foreign markets, 44.2. Worldwide, 68.4. It remains to be seen where this goes. I don't see it going up very far. I don't think this is going to do terribly well at the box office. But nevertheless, did the trailer get me into theaters? Well, clearly it did. I did go see this opening weekend with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. My father-in-law is kind of a longtime fan of the franchise, saw the originals in theaters, whereas my brother-in-law, he's a little bit younger than me, and he had not seen the second and third installments, just the first. So he did have some confusion throughout this fourth one. So I will say this right up front, listeners, if you have not seen the previous trilogy of films, then this one may not mean a whole lot to you. They really do their best to kind of bring audiences in who've been missing out for the past 20 years. But nevertheless, go back and listen to my reviews. Go watch that. Get my thoughts on what those previous three films are, because I think my thoughts on this one are actually going to surprise you. All right, listeners, if you have not seen The Matrix Resurrection, like I said, it's streaming currently, it's in theaters currently, go ahead and check it out if you don't want it spoiled for you, but then come back here and click play here and we will be ready to talk about it. So Resurrection starts off in a very unique way. It's actually an opening recreation of the first film and it's very intriguing. It's I thought it was kind of the perfect nostalgic callback. It can be confusing. But the, this is happening within a game. That's kind of the big twist of the film is that Neo thinks that all everything that happened to him in the first three movies was just his, you know, dream of making it into a game. So the Matrix is a game that people play in the real world. It felt very meta with this plot. I think this plot is a smart and engaging plot. Um, some great retro callbacks, such as it gave me a lot of old video game feelings, like from the original Xbox and PlayStation era, while modernizing it 
for current day audiences. This is more of a plot driven film, actually, than an action film, whereas the second film was almost nothing but action after a while. This can be almost nothing but plot. Now, there are some exciting sequences to say, but I think a lot of people will be surprised this is more driven by narrative than action or anything else. Going even further into the meta mindset of this movie, Chad Stahelski, who was Keanu Reeves' stunt double in the original films, who would go on to create and direct the first John Wick, plays Trinity's husband in this movie. Trinity and Neo don't know each other in this um, universe um, because they have been duped once again by the machines. Ultimately, of course, they come back and unite once again this, you know, cosmic love story. But I think one of the best points of this film is the philosophical elements. The Matrix isn't just action, but it is kind of the combination of a smart thinking movie. So the philosophy behind this one is pretty on point with what's going on in today's culture and society, not just in America, but across the world, is that people don't want to think for themselves. They want to be comfortably numb. Even if they know they are being controlled, people want to give up their freedom for this comfortable, easy lifestyle where they don't really have to choose. And so this is what really tackles that right here. Lana Wachowski did a good job of tapping into kind of this modern, you know, paralysis or psychosis of what's going on across the world is, you know, this dichotomy between authoritarianism and freedom. And I, I don't think this movie really gets terribly political whatsoever, but nevertheless, it is tapping into that. And it's obvious they, they completely spell it out. There's nothing really, there's no real hidden meanings there. But nevertheless, it's a smart way to bring the matrix into infuse it with reality. One of the other positives is Trinity and Neo's relationship. You know, I felt like Trinity got the shaft in part three. She wasn't much of a character and she just seemingly died. And that whole movie was just left completely unfinished. I feel like this shows there is something so powerful about their bond. They had to be resurrected and kept together for in order to fuel the Matrix, in order to that's what it seems to insinuate is to keep the Matrix running off the significant power source. They don't explore it too much, but there is something incredible going on there, which really was hinted at in the first one and just seemingly kind of dropped in two and three. Um, there is some, maybe some redeeming qualities that redeem it about Matrix 3, I should say, such as Sati and her father returns. Well, Sati returns and plays a role in the third act. We learn that her father is the one that created the resurrection pods for Neo and Trinity. So it is kind of redeeming some of that in part three that really didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I gotta say the ending is pretty exciting. Trinity can fly. It really is Trinity who kind of comes into her own since she mostly got the shaft in those other films. I think the score in this movie is good, but a bit of a ripoff of like Hans Zimmer from Batman Begins or maybe from Inception. That's what it sounded like. It's not entirely original, but it worked well in the film. And of course, this has the best visual effects of all three films, especially since it came out much later. There are a number of disappointing elements to this movie, though. Um, for instance, more exploration of what Neo achieved in part three. They talk about how he didn't fail in part three. He created an amicable world between machines and humans. Um, Niobe is here, but she is 60 years older. This movie actually takes place in the real world 60 years later, which I thought was very interesting. 
Um, Neo and Trinity have not aged because of how they're in the resurrection chambers. They've, they've aged a little bit, I should say, but not as much as 60 years. Um, Niobe says Neo achieved a world without war where machines and humans are now in harmony and even the machines went to war against each other. I thought that was very interesting. Um, there is a new villain, the analyst. He seems to be the, you know, pre the successor to the architect, I should say. Um, Neil Patrick Harris does a fine job, not terribly deep or interesting of a, ca a character. Also, we get a cameo of the Merovingian. Seems like they're more so setting him up for something later on. I'm kind of confused about that. There is some good action scenes, but not a lot. Don't expect a lot of action in this movie, as I've already touched on before. Also, I think a lot of people will find this very frustrating, those who see it in theaters. The dialogue is incredibly difficult to understand. Uh, subtitles are a must. Um, the new Agent Smith is a big what the fudge. He does save Neo at the end. Um, the creators originally wanted Hugo weaving back, but because of COVID and scheduling conflicts, he wasn't here. So, you know, Agent Smith is here. They're kind of pulling a Dr. Parnassus here. They, they kind of did this with part three as well. His character doesn't make a whole lot of sense that he's Neo's video game creation partner. There seems to be more to delve into there. Maybe on a second viewing with subtitles, I'll get it. Uh, and of course, like I said, the motives of the villain are somewhat unclear in this movie. Now, Morpheus is something we haven't talked about yet. Morpheus is built up a bit more in the trailer than he is actually used in the movie. So don't come in expecting he's going to be, you know, the third part, the really big main character like he was in the other films. He's not really used all that much, uh, except in the third act. Um, he is used a little bit, but he does serve more as a catalyst for Neo than an actual character. So this new Morpheus, the reason it's not played by Lawrence Fishburne is because this new Morpheus is a combination of the Smith and the original person, which is a cool yet unused concept. So I was slightly disappointed that he didn't have a little bit more to do, but it was a cool idea nonetheless. The Matrix Resurrections almost fixes the lackluster conclusion of The Matrix Revolutions. It features an accurate commentary on society today, some exciting action, and the best visuals of the franchise. While it's nice to see Neo and Trinity alive and well, we still haven't seen them destroy The Matrix once and for all. Maybe we'll get that in a Matrix 5, but this really does feel like a stepping stone to a new installment in the franchise. I enjoyed it, but I can see why others are have been let down. The Matrix Resurrections receives 7 stars out of 10 with a recommend. So I personally will pick this one up on 4K, eventually add it to my other collection since I own the first three on physical media. Um, I'm going to be recommending The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus and A Scanner Darkly to check out after this. I think there's some similar tie-ins there. Um, we don't know yet if there's going to be a Matrix 5 so far. This one is not performing very well. It sure does seem like there is going to be another one, like they're going to set another one up. Um, at least we don't have much of a cliffhanger to this one. So if this is the one and final installment, I think it's a nice maybe bookend to the series, but nothing too tangible for a setup, I would say. So the question after the show is, is The Matrix Resurrections the best sequel in the franchise? I'm going to say yes. For me, it's The Matrix, Matrix Resurrections, 
Reloaded, and then Revolutions at the very bottom. So I want to know your order, listeners. I want to know your question, your answer to this question. So make sure to email me at silverscreenguide at 95 at gmail.com. That question and email is in the description below. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I hope you're having a good new year. And I will be back next week with my final, so far, review for The Matrix. I'm going to be reviewing The Animatrix. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Gosh, the garbage man is fired up his engine. He's going to sit there forever in a stinking day. That's frustrating. I hope he leaves soon. He's probably not. He's probably going to sit there on his phone. <sighs> My neighbor's a garbage man. And he comes home every day for lunch.